0: We'd like to thank Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for helping to underwrite the Building Through Him podcast. In the last year alone, Notre Dame FCU served more than 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com. Hello, my name is Mary Jo Parrish. This is the Building Through Him podcast. And today is Jesus Conversations, the journey to sobriety. I'm here with two of my builder sisters, Carrie and Sarah. Carrie, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you.
1: Hi, I'm a builder. My name's Carrie, and I have been married for 25 years to the same person. I've been Catholic my whole life. We have 10 beautiful children. We have just a really good life, but I'm also. In sobriety, I've been sober for about two and a half years now. Awesome. Wonderful. Sarah, tell us a little bit about you. Hi, my name's Sarah.
2: I am a stay-at-home mom, been married for about 15 years. I have four kids, ages 20 down to seven, and I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, married in the Catholic Church, whole family is Catholic, and I'm here to talk to everybody today
0: about my journey to sobriety. Wonderful. I just thank you for being here and talking about something that is so vulnerable and a struggle that so many people have. And so we're all about like the raw, real applications for our life. So Carrie, what did drinking
1: look like in your life? Okay. So when I was in high school, I started drinking and I, you know, like teenagers do, I kind of like binge drink on the weekends. And after I got out of high school, my friends would, were going off to college and I took a different path. I ended up getting married, you know, shortly after I graduated and we ended up having kids right away. And so drinking kind of took a backseat because I was so enmeshed in my family and raising my family. It wasn't until later on that my drinking kind of picked back up. And I guess that binging part kind of, you know, carried on when I picked back the drinking up because in between pregnancies, I was kind of making up for lost time. Right. right. And after I kind of had longer spaces in between babies, there was nothing like stopping the drinking. It was just kind of continuing on and continuing to get more and more and more. And it got to a point where, you know, It was not even, like, thought that crossed my mind that this was a problem. I just knew that it was interfering with my mental health. I was struggling with, like, postpartum depression and anxiety. And I thought that alcohol was going to be the solution to that. I thought that the alcohol was helping. My life did not look like a wreck. It It looked pretty much, from the outside, you know, typical, normal family right nobody nobody would ever ever guess that I was struggling with this my husband and I were the ones that recognized that it was a problem and you know I didn't have people breathing down my back for me to quit or to stop it just I blended in and I got away with it and you know I was still maintaining my job as a mom I was still you know taking the kids to school picking the kids up it was like something that started very slowly right it it was a a quick stint but long enough for me to have tasted what that fire of hell feels like and right i
0: know you're not like Mm -hmm. i don't want this yeah Mm -hmm, sarah what about for you what did your drinking look like
2: mine probably started in high school you know i went to a catholic high school and You know, we had parties, and it would kind of be your, like, my thing I did on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really wasn't a huge concern. I mean, it was definitely binge drinking. But it escalated when I was in my early 20s. I had two little kids, and I was going through a divorce. A sister of mine lived with me at the time. We lived with my parents during my divorce. And... Something I've noticed is I have had some underlying depression probably my whole life. Right. And, you know, a divorce just makes that even worse. Right. And my sister, who was much older than me, would every night pop open a bottle of wine. Right. And it was like, I had never had that before. It was just like, oh, the weekends you went out. Right. But this is where it turned into every single night we pop open a bottle of wine. right? And it was fun. Yeah. And we turn on music and it was like, I mean, instantly my mood was elevated. Even before I had that first sip of wine, it was like, all right, party time. right? And I mean, looking back, we had some really good times. Right, right. But that's where it escalated and turned into a nightly habit yeah. that continued into my, all through my 20s, into my 30s of you know, why not make every night fun, right? Yes. You know, I never got to the point where I was waking up in the morning and drinking vodka, you know. It just was always this nightly habit, this nightly reward, this nightly way to relieve the stress of the day. Right. You know, and towards the end, it became the thing that was actually causing my stress. Of course. Right, (laughs) of course. (laughs) You know,
0: it's... It's fun until it's not fun. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What was the turning point for you, Sarah, in your drinking? Like, when did you realize, like, this is a problem?
2: Hmm. I would say when I knew in my soul that I needed to quit Yeah. was when I really invited Jesus into my heart. What did that look
0: like? Can you remember the moment? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Give Um, us give us all the details. (laughs) Well, I
2: became I became really close friends with a couple who have been mission workers. They are, I mean, they are Holy Spirit-filled people. I love and adore them. And they really talked to me about inviting Jesus into my life. You know, my whole life I was a Catholic. I was sacramentalized, but not evangelized. Amen. You know. So common. Right. And I really sat down in prayer one day and just said, Jesus. I'm opening my heart to you, you're the Lord of my life, and I'm going to follow you mm. and I started spending time in prayer every morning, mm. just getting to know him, yes, and within a few months, I mean, the Holy Spirit just really spoke to me. I knew i I knew I couldn't be a follower of Jesus, you know, full fledged and still be drinking wine every night yes, I just I knew
0: it to. My core. Right. I call that infused grace or infused knowledge. Like you just knew. Yeah. You You just just knew. No. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Mm.
2: Yeah. And if I'm going to follow him, I can't be doing that too. It was a very Mm -hmm. divided mind. Right. I want to be a
0: follower, but I'm over here doing this. Right. Lord, be the Lord of my life and be the Lord of my loves. You know, be the Lord of my loves.
1: Yes. Carrie, what about for you? What was like the turning point where you're like, I got to do something different? Yeah. So for me, I did not have like a Damascus moment where I, it was like rock bottom. I didn't have DUIs. I didn't have jail time. And so my intention was not quitting at first. It was cutting back. Sure. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but your Facebook account is linked to Google And Mm. so my Google searches included things like, how much is too much? You know, what is an alcoholic? How do I cut back? So I was Googling these things, and I was on Facebook one day, and this book popped up, and thought, okay, I can order this book. Nobody's gonna know. And I didn't want anybody to know that I was, you know, thinking about cutting back, trying to cut back. And so I ordered the book, and when I read the book... I was like in absolute shock because the things that she was describing in the book were the things that I was going through. What's the name of the book? It was not a Catholic book. It was That's called okay. um, Up All Night. Up All Night, by okay. Bex Weller. Okay. And the things in the book, I was like, how can this be? This is like the same thing. How is this same thing? Because I thought I was the only person that was going through this kind of thing. Right. And so I ordered the book, read the book, her testimony kind of made me start thinking, okay, maybe this is a bigger problem than I thought. Right. She had talked about like the underlying reasons why we drink. And so I, I thought, okay, the reason I'm drinking is because I have postpartum depression really bad. I have really bad anxiety. I, if I can cure that, then, you know, I'll be good to go. I can go back to drinking normal, not right. having these consequences that I'm having and, you know, feeling better about myself. And so I tried that, and I think I tried every which way to cut back, and I was still holding so tightly on to the fact that this thing, alcohol, was going to take away the, you know, all these issues that I was dealing with, or, or you know, this void that I was trying to fill, because right. there was this, like, something missing for me, right. and What led me to finally realize that I needed to quit was that I had tried absolutely everything. I had tried, you know, I thought it was maybe the food that I was eating. That's why I was depressed. I needed to cut out gluten and I needed to, you know, I just needed to eat better. And so when that didn't work, then I thought, okay, it's just, it's because I'm not exercising enough. And so I started running and I started, you know, exercising more. And when that didn't work, then I moved on to, I just need to get my mind like it's, it's the power of habit. And I ordered all these mm-hmm. books and I studied how to change your mind. How how can you like control your mind better so that you can control your drinking? Right. And then that didn't work. And then right. I, um, gosh, what else did I do? Every which way, it was like I could not control it. Right. And the more I tried to control it, the worse it got. Right. So on my birthday, it was about four years ago on my birthday, I decided, okay, I'm just going to do this 30 day stint And, you know, no alcohol at all. Not trying to control it, no alcohol at all. And it took me a good maybe three, four weeks to jump on. And I was sober for maybe 10 months. I couldn't stop thinking about the alcohol, though. Right. And I hated watching other people drink. I was resentful that I couldn't drink. I was angry at God. I was angry, you know... At my husband every time that he would he could drink normal and every time that he had a beer i was resentful we'd end up arguing sure still. right and so nothing was really getting better right. i was still like a miserable person and so then one day i was you know if i just quit thinking so hard about the alcohol maybe i'll quit maybe it'll not be a problem and so and my husband was very very good about allowing me to have the freedom to decide those things, right. even though he he's very clued in on how addiction works, and he <laughs> is very patient as well. He We were out to dinner, and I was like, I think I'm just going to order a glass of wine, just one, and thinking that, you know, I was cured, I could do this. Right. And the one led to two and that night, but then within another couple of weeks, I was right back to where I had left off, and I was, you know, even deeper digging myself deeper because I was again making up for lost time I had given it up for 10 months and now I was like back in the swing of things right and then when it got so bad I decided to quit again got another eight months under my belt with my self-will and then um, still miserable still trying you know on my own to do this and then it wasn't until my birthday four years later this just coincided it was just ironic that God did this this way, but on my birthday, I decided, okay, I'm going to try this one more time. I'm going to see if I can control this one more time. And it was a disaster. It, <laughs> I ended up spending my birthday, you know, throwing up the whole day and mm-hmm. in bed. And I thought, this is it. I I cannot do this anymore. I can't. And so that was what led me to quit for good. And then what was that, that you were like, this is the thing that led me to quit Was AA. So, and then that's when I eventually entered AA. Awesome. Yeah. And that's what changed pretty much my whole story.
0: Sarah, what was your rock bottom?
1: Mine was
2: COVID. Mm. COVID started. I think we
0: all can relate
2: to that at a deep level, right? (laughs) I I think COVID has exposed a lot (laughs) to a lot of people, right? But I remember when COVID first started, like a lot of people, I, you know, called my husband. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm at the grocery. They're running out of things. You know, I need to, you know, just stock up. up." Right. So I went to Costco. And what did I fill my cart with? Not toilet paper? Nope. (laughs) Wine. (laughs) Tons of wine. Because, you know, if we run low on food, that's – I can survive. But if the liquor stores close, I'm going to – there's no way. Right. So obviously I did buy food too. Sure. But, you know, my husband was like, Seriously? You right. bought, you know, three cases of wine, you know? Right. And I'm like, well, I mean, you never know. But um so before that, I was kind of getting good at controlling my drinking. Mm-hmm. I was a little you know, when you start to form rules around your drinking, that's mm-hmm. a big what giveaway. Does, what do you mean by rules? Um, I'm only gonna drink when we go out to dinner. Okay. I'm only going to drink one bottle of wine a night. Mm. And do the rules start to, like, broaden as yes. you go? Like- <laughs> yeah, like, I'm yeah. only going to drink when we right. go out to dinner. Well, but what if I have friends over for dinner? Okay, yeah. This is an addendum to the rule. Yeah. It's yeah. another addendum. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then what if there's leftover wine after right. I, I have my friends waste. over? Sure. So I'll just finish those, and then I'll go back to only drinking when we go out to dinner. Right. So, But, you know, COVID changed all that. Mm-hmm. COVID was like, I got three cases of wine in my basement. Mm There's nothing else to do. right? So I might as well drink wine every night, listen to music, make this fun. Right. So it progressed a lot. And by the middle of May, I had the moment where I, literally on my knees, just asking Jesus to take this from me. This is not working. Please take this from me. I know, I know this is not good. Right. And... A couple weeks later, this program popped up on my Facebook page because my phone probably heard me praying that. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Um, They listen to everything,
0: including our prayers. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) And it was for this program called Sober Sis. Okay. And this program is, they have a 21-day reset, and it's for you to just take a 21-day break They have daily emails. You join a Marco Polo group with other women around the country. And it's just to take a look at your drinking, to educate yourself on alcohol and what it's doing in your life. And then at the end of the 21 days, you can decide if you can moderate Mm -hmm. or if you want to totally quit. And then after that, they have a program Oh, Alcohol-Free Life. I forget what it's called, but um, it's a 90-day program then for people that want to make the decision to totally live alcohol-free. Okay. And that program, what makes it so different from any other program, and they don't advertise this, which is interesting. It's the only program I know of that is christian based nice and the fact that that's the program out of all of them out there Mm -hmm. that was brought to me on my facebook feed right i mean i know that was divine intervention absolutely and yeah it was it was awesome every email there's a bible verse connected to it it's just so inspiring and it's totally the whole mindset of that program is about the freedom in living a sober-minded life. Right. And there's just so much joy in that. And yeah, I highly recommend that program. That's so. beautiful. Mm-hmm.
0: So yours was more an online program. Carrie, you talked about like your rock bottom, like you started AA. How is that different than like an online program?
1: So all these things that I was trying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even if I would have tried Sober cis, I I feel like that would have helped. And I could have done it. It didn't fill that hole the way that it that I was wanting it to. I was still really, there was something missing right. in, in all the things that I was trying. And um, I was really, really caught up in this, that's not me. Mm-hmm. That's not me. Mm-hmm. Because I was trying to look for, you know, a reason why I could keep drinking. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing all this comparing. But then, you know, when I read that book, I was like, but that's me. And she's not calling herself that word that a word you know and i was like maybe that's not me maybe i can just do this on my own and that and i did for a while right and um but you were miserable but i was miserable right they call that dry drunk okay Mm -hmm. and i just remember standing outside the meeting i was scared to death because i thought this is not me but i don't know what else to try how did you find out about i mean like like if you're like thinking to yourself, maybe I want to try a meeting.
0: How do you even find out? Well, I them? had
1: um, right before COVID, I have family that's in the program already. Okay. I went to a meeting with somebody that I knew. They had assisted me to the meeting and I was scared to death, like shaking, thought I was going to throw out before I went in. Sure. And I sat down and everybody in the meeting was like, <laughs> you know, older men and they were like talking about their drinking and what made me almost like, sick was like, there were things that they were saying that I could relate to. I couldn't relate to the rock bottoms. I couldn't relate to like, you know, if they brought up jail or things like that, but I could relate to this obsession. Like I wanted to drink so bad, but Mm -hmm. couldn't figure out why I was so miserable, still sober or, you know, like they would talk about things that were just relatable to me. And, but yet they were so happy and so like free. And I, and I thought, how can you be joking about this? Because this is absolutely miserable. Right. So then COVID hit and the Mm. meetings went online and I was not doing the online thing. And so it wasn't until like maybe August of that, you know, year into COVID that I was still miserable. And I thought, God, if you want me to get help with this, you're going to have to take over. And Mm -hmm. that's when I surrendered right outside that AA meeting that I went to. And I walked into the meeting and the first person that greeted me was this really happy, bubbly woman. And she became my sponsor. She led me through the steps and what she was not Catholic. But what I started seeing was like all this, like each step was related to like St. Ignatius spirituality. Yes, And I thought mm-hmm. this is like basically just Catholicism in different words. Yeah. And, and I, and that's when I kind of started realizing I'm getting so hung up on the terminology of you know, are you an alcoholic? Are you, do you have to go to AA? Do you have to do this? Do you have to do that? And just kind of like let go. And yes. I let God kind yeah. of take over. And he like took me through every step. And somewhere along the lines, it was really hard to go through all that, but somewhere along the lines, I just kind of was freed from that obsession. And that mm-hmm. is kind of like the grace of God, the gift that God gave me. Yes. That's, that's the point that I want to kind of get across to share is like not drinking. I never thought you could live a life without drinking and be completely happy and fun and content and all those reasons why you drink. Mm -hmm. Right. But it is, and you filled the cup even more.
0: And so your life now, I mean, like when you were, back when you were drinking, could you have pictured a life of sobriety with joy?
1: No. Right. I mean, when I was pregnant, I was mad that I was pregnant because I couldn't drink anymore. (laughs) so you know (laughs) yes yeah like you have to give up drinking now and as soon as i had the baby or you know as soon as i could i was back to drinking Mm -hmm. and you know the reasons why people drink everybody has a reason why they drink either you know it's fun for them it's a de-stressor it takes away pain or whatever that reason is yeah the numbing Mm -hmm. yeah god kind of Gave me all of that, but without the alcohol. And I never believed that that could come, but it did. That's beautiful. Sarah, what about you? Um, Something I just want to add to that about, you know, being
2: worried about not having fun. Yeah. Because I was the fun drinker. Sure. I was the life of the party. You know, it was always a good time. Yeah. But, you know, God did not make us to need alcohol to have fun. Amen. And when we were little kids, Mm-hmm. We didn't need alcohol to have fun, right? right? And a realization I came to with the help of the Sober Sis program, another thing about that program that's so great is it really, it really exposes the truth of alcohol. Like yeah. the veil is lifted. And so it really makes you, by the end of the program, you're like, why would I want to drink that? right it's poison right you know it really reveals it for what it is Mm -hmm. and so it really helps you get past that oh i'm so mad i can't have that it turns it into a why would i ever want that right but going back to it being needing it to have fun something i realized is if i need it to have fun then maybe that thing is not fun Mm -hmm. like Oh, I'm so mad I can't drink at that football game. It's not going to be fun. Well, maybe I don't like football. Yeah. You know (laughs) what I mean? Exactly. Or like, oh, I can't have fun with these friends if I'm not drinking. Well, maybe they're not good friends. Right, Right. Right.
0: Right. So... Yeah, why do you have to add an alcohol to the event or the people that you're with? Right. And so
2: now I, I don't see it as something I'm missing out on. I see it as like the things I do that are fun now are authentically fun. Yes, And the people I spend my time with now, my friends, my sober friends, and I mean even my friends I used to drink with, I still love them dearly. Right. But I have just as much fun. Right. I really do. And... There were times in my past where I'd quit for a month for a diet or, you know, whatever, and then I'd go back to drinking. I would find that when I would start drinking and I'd be a couple glasses of wine in, my authentic friends, I would start being, like, annoyed I was getting drunk because I couldn't really be present for those conversations. Exactly. Yeah. So the quality of your relationships and the way you spend your time – are just so much better in sobriety and actually authentic.
0: My only way to relate is I'm an ex-smoker. So I Mm. remember when I um, decided to quit smoking that the enemy said, well, if you quit smoking, you'll have no more pleasure in your life. Mm -hmm. I just remember accepting that lie that, okay, I won't have pleasure in my life because I smoked in and out, like get done pregnant and nursing, I go right back to smoking. And I looked forward to it. Like, again, mm-hmm. when you were saying you were pregnant and then you had to stop, I, I was the same way. I was like, dang it, mm-hmm. I have to grow this life inside me and stop smoking. Yeah. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds so ridiculous to the people who have ne- never smoked or don't know, understand addiction, but it, mm-hmm. it, 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 like, that was my pleasure of, you know, sneaking outside in the garage and smoking a cigarette, like, away from the kids. Mm-hmm. But he said, like, if you give this up, then you will have no more pleasure in your life. You don't wanna do that. You don't wanna do that. And carry back when you were saying, like, There's another person, like, who's struggling the way I am. Oh, my gosh. Like, the enemy loves to say, you're alone. You're the only one who's suffering this way. This is only you. And then as soon as you, like, bring that to the light and you see all these other people struggling with the exact same thing, it's like, the enemy just doesn't have that power anymore. And so I remember saying, like, okay, I'm okay with, like, losing this pleasure because I need to live for my kids. Like, Mm -hmm. I need to be alive for them. And I want to be alive for my grandchildren. And I just accepted that I wouldn't have any more pleasure in my life, which sounds so silly. And it was like within a month, I was like, oh, I actually, I'm not chained to that anymore. Like, I was always thinking, when can I get a cigarette? That was always in my head. I was never free. Mm -hmm. Always that was in my head. Like, oh, let's finish this conversation. I'd be talking to people and smiling. But really, I was just thinking about getting back Mm -hmm. home to get a cigarette in my garage. I mean, it's so dark, but that was like, that was where my mind went at, at the time. And that's exactly how it is with
2: alcohol. Okay, And just a little word to the stay-at-home moms out there. You know, I thought wine at night was my relaxation, Mm -hmm. my way to have that calm time, that alone time. But, you know, the thing is, is that now, like, I actually do things that are restorative. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I love that word, Wine is not. Yes. You know, it's... The first 20 minutes, scientifically, are, you know, calming, whatever. After that, you just want to keep chasing that buzz. Right. So to me, it's not worth the first 20 minutes. And now I do things that are actually restorative, like going on a walk, taking a bath, reading a novel, spending time with my family. And it's so freeing to actually be living a life now where the things I'm doing are Actually, filling that hole, right? Not a fake, right?
0: Substance, right? Yeah. I don't know if anyone ever watched. Um, I know someone's supposed to. Little House on the Prairie. Mm-hmm. Laura Ingalls finds this fool's gold in the in the creek, and she's so excited, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, we're rich!" And we're <laughs> like, "Oh yeah!" She can finally throw it in Nellie Olson's face that they have bunny. And it's like, no, it's fool's gold. It's fake. Yes. You know, it's it's like it's not real. And, you know, like her sadness of like, oh, you know, we had that big hope. It's like, it's the same thing. It's like we're trying to fill a hole that was created for only God alone. Mm -hmm. You know, authentic relationship with one another and with the Lord, with this other thing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, it will never, it's all fool's gold. It's all fool's gold. So, Carrie, what about, what fruits have you seen in your life now since you're...
1: Okay, so uh, real quick, going back to what Sarah said. Sure. I was like... When I start, started to get sober, I was like, okay, alcohol is the spawn of Satan. I I cannot stand alcohol. And I was kind of like looking through those eyes of like, it's it's a, an evil for everyone. No one should drink. We should all be, you know, tea tallers. The world should go back to prohibition. And <laughs> <laughs> I was very, I'm an extremist. So then I started getting really resentful, like, even to like, kind of like, Jesus, like, Why would he use wine as his first mirror? I mean, Mm -hmm. even Jesus was kind of enabling people, you know, like he was creating more wine. What the heck? And then I started feeling like all these lies come in, like, Carrie, you're just being a bore. You're just boring. You know, relax. You're just, you know, too uptight. You don't need to be so strict about this. And then I started thinking like, okay, this is a good, you know, alcohol can be a good. It's just that I took it as... Other people can take other things. And I took the good and I, it was a good gun bad for me. And that's when I had to realize this is not a good for me anymore. And letting go of that was really, really hard. Right. To do. Mm -hmm. But so.
2: I mean, it's kind of like just with any sin or not sin, but, you know, money, sex, all these things that can be gifts. But once you start using them in a distorted. Right. Or disordered way. Yeah is when they become a problem.
1: Right. Yeah. That's good. My my favorite, G.K. Chesterton said, never drink when you are sad. Always drink to be happy. And I was drinking kind of like to escape. I wasn't drinking with the intention of, you know, just being joyful and being, you know, in other people's presence. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and like alcohol was intended to be used.
0: Carrie, how did the... Um, change your relationship with like your
1: spouse and your kids so I mean everything in in very subtle subtle ways I mean my husband and I have completely 180'd our you know home life we don't involve alcohol in every single aspect of our lives I mean we together don't involve it in any way in our lives but you know It's not the center point of our lives. We've found all kinds of different things to have fun now. We've, I don't know, I just feel like at peace knowing that that was like a fly that we were constantly swatting at. And that's done and gone now. And the freedom that comes from that is so good. Right. So good. Mm -hmm. Sarah, what about for you? Well,
2: me and my husband... He quit drinking about eight years ago. Okay. But he was my drinking buddy. Oh. So we had a lot of good times together. Sure. Until it wasn't fun anymore. Right. You know? Now our marriage, we've obviously had some really tough times because the foundation it used to be built on was just partying and having fun. Right. And now we're kind of having to rebuild that relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. Who but are
0: you it, when you're not drinking? Right. It's like it's a different person. It's right. It's a
2: totally different person. So we're both having to kind of learn who each other are all over again. Right. But it's so great because now, you know, when we go on vacation together, we're touring old homes, we're being active, we're hiking, we're we're doing so much more together when before it would have just been like sitting at a bar on a beach. Right, yeah. And then getting in a fight later that night. Of
0: course. You yeah. know? Yeah. That yeah. Fight in. Yes. yeah, exactly. Then um, being resentful to each other the whole next day. Right, right of course. exactly.
2: So we're definitely still on that journey. Sure. But it's a good journey.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then as far as my kids go, I mean, I'm just a better mom. Right. And even if I'm not that much different, I'm not beating myself up anymore. Right. I used to, let's say I forgot to pack my kids' lunch. Mm -hmm. Back when I was drinking, it would have been, you're such an idiot. Right. It's because you were drinking last night, and you're hungover, and you're not 100%. And that's why you forgot to pack your kids' lunch, and you suck, and you're a horrible mom, and, you know. Right. It just goes on and on. Yeah. Now, when I forget my kids' lunch... (laughs) <laughs> I'm just like, meh, whatever. Right. I'm, I'm just a mom. I'm a little ADD. Yeah. Not a big deal. I'll just drop it off later right. at school. Yeah. So that constant beating myself up is gone. Praise God. And so I'm able to know I'm a good mom. Yes. And another thing, too, is with my kids. You know, I have adult children. Right. My oldest is 20. And unfortunately, we kind of grew up together. Sure. And she is probably my best friend Mm. i absolutely adore her and love her i look up to her and i know that if i was drinking still she lives with us i know that if she came home from work she's a waitress and she's in school but right now if she came home from work and i was still drinking the way i used to be i would probably be like hey want to have a glass of wine right Just bringing her in. Yep. And I would be just continuing that family. Generational.
0: Yeah. As we were talking about that earlier is like so many of our Catholic families, like large Mm -hmm. Catholic families are drinkers, you know, Mm -hmm. the power of that generational, I would like say Mm -hmm. like curse, like Mm -hmm. generational curse of this is what we do. This Mm -hmm. is who we are. There's a keg there. There's a bar there. Mm -hmm. We have alcohol there. Always, you know, mm-hmm. even at baby showers, yeah. wine and baby showers, it's wine and everything. Like mm-hmm. there's hats with wines, you know, tubes mm-hmm. that come down. It's like, yeah. it's trying to like make the alcohol so common and everything so that you almost like can't get a break from it, you know, it's everywhere. You, you can't. Yeah. And in our
2: culture, over the past 20 years, they have marketed so much towards women mm-hmm. in the wine industry They realized there was this whole untapped market. And us women, we really are victims of that. Absolutely.
0: It's
2: it's actually really terrible what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go to any store and you will see shirts, plaques, glasses, Yetis, everything. You know, wine time, mommy and wine. Right. You know, painting and wine. Like it's literally everywhere and right. all that is is marketing to get us to buy
0: a carcinogen right and when it comes to human interaction you know as as human beings god created us to be seen heard known and loved to mm-hmm. connect with other people and so that that's a barrier it's a mm-hmm. barrier to connections our our screens are a barrier to connections mm-hmm. or you know alcohol can be a barrier to connections like all these barriers And then we never have that fulfillment of Mm -hmm. deep and authentic relationship with one another and with the Lord. Because it's not just with God, it's with one another as well. Mm -hmm. We're created for community. And so, but the relationship with God, I would think would become so much more authentic. Carrie, how has your relationship with God changed?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, I have always been a religious person. Mm -hmm. And you know, that I love talking about religion. My faith was very strong, I thought, but this required. Complete surrender, you know, and I was living kind of on my will, right, and so my relationship with God now is dependent on his will yeah. and just surrendering every single day to whatever it is that he's called to you know and and you had asked like how my relationship with my husband has changed, and you know other people, it's completely a hundred percent present, mm-hmm. and you know, well, not a hundred percent, I'd say. Sometimes there's a little fog there for other <laughs> reasons <laughs> <So true. laughs> for mom reasons, maybe, yeah. but that's what's so great about it is i'm I'm completely present, so like she was saying, my relationship with my kids is a hundred percent you know dependable, a hundred percent authentic, a hundred percent for them like i I couldn't mm-hmm. give to them because I was completely on empty, right, you know, and I was filling that up with alcohols, and so Now it's just constantly filled up with God. And, you know, I thought the alcohol could fill that cup up, but God was constantly, he constantly every day is filling that up and filling it up more than I gave him credit for. There's the phrase of, like, you cannot
0: give what you have not received. You know, like, Mm -hmm. and I think for women, so often we are doing, 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 doing for everyone, and we are exhausted. Mm -hmm. And, like, men, if you're listening to this— if you're married, your wife's exhausted. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times they don't know. Men aren't <laughs> aware of it, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. So, like, we're so busy doing and that we don't take the time to receive. So, one thing about the Kingdom Builders Gathering, if if I you know, see a woman, I'm like, Hey, why are you even coming to the gathering? And she'll be like, Well, I just, you know, Johnny has baseball and my husband has this and blah, blah, blah. And that's because they're so busy serving yeah. everyone else. It's like, just come and receive. Exactly. You need to receive God's love. And for women to take the time to pray. You know, Mm -hmm. to surrender to him to be able to receive his love so that they can give, you know. So we're talking about the dry drunks, like we all have that hole Mm where we need to be receiving his love so that we can give. We're, you know, running on an empty so much of the time. And part of it is just like taking a step back and being like, okay, why am I running on empty? You know, like Mm -hmm. I always just like ask why? You know, where am I overscheduled? Where am I not resting yeah. in his will? You
1: know, how mm-hmm. am I not receiving? Oh, I just was going to say is that was part of the problem was I had this misconception that, you know, less of me, more of God. Right. And mm-hmm. to me, that meant, you know, always say yes, give <laughs> to other people constantly. And I had this kind of like perfectionistic viewpoint, like God wanted me to be perfect all the time. And he wanted me to constantly not focus on myself, self-care, self-care no self-care bad right and that completely emptied me yes and that's where i kind of went wrong is right thinking that i was not worthy of the care or the boundaries that that i needed right and that's what kind of got me in trouble was always give 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 and that that that's where i kind of hit rock bottom when I was mm-hmm. riding on a plane, and I think for
0: listeners, you know, I have also have 10 kids. That And I think I just had one kid at the time. And I remember the the, the lady explaining the oxygen mask. And my oxygen mask, you know, first put yours on and then put it on your baby. And I was like, I would never do that. And then she's like, and then I was like, why not? Oh, because otherwise you pass out and possibly die and then your baby dies too. It's like you actually have to put your oxygen mask on first. It's requirement. So that you can take care of all these other people and like having a healthy boundary of actually I can say no, Mm -hmm. you know, the father does want me to be filled. You know, he doesn't want us like walking around exhausted and,
1: you
0: know, just running on empty all the time. Yeah. What's interesting as you tell that is that
2: the wine industry will tell you that's your wine time at night. Exactly. I mean, when I was in my drinking, I thought. That's me putting my mask on mm-hmm. first. Is I need that alone time. Mm. I need that relaxation
0: time. Yeah. Oh, no, what yeah. you really
1: need is a nap. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes.
0: Some um, nap or some adoration. Right. So, yes. so Sarah, what right. has your how has your relationship with God got changed? You
2: know, when I quit drinking, it was almost as if someone had opened the curtains in my house and let the sun shine in. Mm-hmm. That's how it felt. Mm -hmm. I was able to feel his love for me. Beautiful. I felt like I was able to receive graces better. And for Um, someone
0: who's like listening, who's like, I've never felt that before. Had you felt that before?
2: It basically, it felt like I was walking in God's light. Okay. And when I would drink... It literally was like there's a cloud Mm -hmm. hovering over me. Yeah. Like I'm in the dark. Yeah. And then another thing that did is, you know, when the curtains are drawn back and the light comes in, you're able to see the other sins in your life. Right. And the things that when I was in active drinking just were not even on my radar. Right. We're on my radar now. Right. And I could see them so much more clearly.
0: Right.
2: So that's really helped me root out other sins the smaller weeds yeah a huge turning point in my what i would call recovery now i did the sober program i have been to some aa meetings mm-hmm. i'm not an active member okay so i quit through sober and in the fall I kind of went into a depression again, okay. and I'm starting to realize I probably have some seasonal affective disorder sure. issues. And I think in AA, they call it the pink cloud. Like the first five months or so, you're just like, really, oh my gosh, this is awesome. sobriety's great. Well, then I hit the wall. Okay. And I was so depressed. It was like, why am I even doing this? I might as well go back to drinking. Right. That's how hard it was. I would go to retreats, read books. I would, you know, I spent time in prayer, I adoration. I was, I was doing everything I could, and I was still suffering. I was probably that dry drunk. Okay. Okay. Or at least I was in my depression, but I didn't have my crutch anymore. Okay. Well, I have a very dear friend who I met through a Proverbs 31 retreat, Christine Delaney. I'm going <laughs> to give her a shout out we met through a proverbs 31 retreat and we would continue to get together and every time i would talk about my struggles and she would be like sarah daily mass i am telling you daily mm-hmm. mass Yeah, it will change your life and every time i saw her she would just beat that into my head and i'd be like oh yeah okay okay whatever yeah you know who who that's does for, that that's for
0: the 80 year olds right, right? who yeah. who does that <laughs> some people might be listening listening to this and thinking Wait, there's daily mass? Yes. There is. There's daily mass.
2: (laughs) Yes. Anyways, so around September, this is like six months of her telling me, Sarah, daily mass. I start going to daily mass. Mm -hmm. And I kid you not, within a few weeks, the healing began. The true healing of my recovery. And... This is the first winter, so it's end of March right now, this is the first winter that I can remember in my entire adult life that I did not fall into a depression. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And I know 100% it's because of the Eucharist. I mean, I Mm -hmm. truly believe that has healed me and been what has really been the biggest change in my sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a couple months ago, I heard a homily on the hemorrhaging woman. Mm -hmm. And the priest said, if Jesus was able to heal her from her just touching his cloak, Mm. how much more powerful is the
0: Eucharist? So when you first reached out to me about the idea of coming on the podcast, Mm -hmm. you would talk to me about daily mass. And I'm, you know, obviously Sunday and I would go one or two days during the week and I'm like a hardcore rosary prayer mm-hmm. and I'm in the word daily. Like and I it had been in my heart like maybe you need, maybe you need daily mass. And I struggled with extreme exhaustion. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I I run a nonprofit and raise a lot of kids. But this was ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. I felt like at every at two about two o'clock every day when I would start go doing the roundup of picking all my kids up from all these different schools, like I honestly felt like I was going to die. I was so tired. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure my husband was so sick of me complaining about it. But your words stuck to me, like daily mass. And so I was just kind of praying with that, praying with that. And I felt like Our Lady was just saying, like, you need the flesh. You need yes. the flesh. And so I just started dueling daily mass. And that was a game changer. And that exhaustion is just gone. Yes. It's just gone. And so it wasn't, I wouldn't say it, it was any type of addiction. I don't mm-hmm. even know. I don't know <laughs> if it was a spiritual realm or whatever. But it's like. If I don't have the body, I can't lead the way God wants me to lead. There's no way. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's a spiritual text or what's going on, but... I listened to a podcast, which I'm a podcast
2: junkie. Oh, yeah. And it was a priest talking about exorcisms, Mm -hmm. which I usually don't listen to those because they're terrifying to me. But he said that if you are receiving the Eucharist daily, there is no
0: room for the devil to get in. Amen. Amen. I love that. Yeah. I'm all about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Okay. So, just kind of closing up here, what advice would you give to someone who's struggling with addiction or someone that's close to them is struggling with addiction? Carrie, what would you say?
1: Oh, my gosh. My first thing I would say is, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be mm-hmm. afraid to get help. That goes on both ends, whether you're right. struggling with someone with addiction or whether you are in addiction. Um, and then after that, you know, there was something, AA kind of brought me to God, you know, in a different way. It right. kind of transformed my heart. But there was also something missing. And, you know, I remember meeting with you months and months ago, and yeah. you said, how's your relationship with Mary? And oh, I hmm. said, I had to be honest. Like I don't remember asking yeah, you that. <laughs> it just... Mary was always an important part of my life, but it was kind of one of those things that wasn't, you know, very important. And once I kind of got into the rosary, Mm -hmm. things kind of changed for me as well. And there's a book called Catholic in Recovery. It's a group now that meets, it's an AA, It's kind of like, I don't want to say Catholic AA because it's still AA. It's just that it's almost like the Catholic faith, like it's Protestant, but more okay so catholic in recovery is aa but more they okay. add the sacraments and for me that's what was missing from aa was the sacraments okay the rosary mm-hmm. you know and so my advice is to begin begin somewhere you don't have to get caught up in all of the terminology where you're at just begin and let god you know let go like jesus wants to heal yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the way he does that is going
0: to be Different for each person, you know, like both of you have completely different journeys, but Mm -hmm. still he was healing, meeting you exactly where you needed to be met, Mm -hmm. you know, so patient no matter where you're at and like bringing you um, into healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the one phrase, which when we pray with women, the three things that that we renounce with people is the lie that I am alone or like Mm -hmm. I'm the only one who suffers with us, the spirit of unworthiness, they do not believe they're worthy, and then the lie of their moms that I'm a bad mom. Like, those are, like, the the most common ones that we renounce with women. So, like, if the enemy is, like, you know, pouring any of those into you, like, to recognize that the Lord has so much more for you and there's so much joy in motherhood, joy in, you know, if you're struggling with addiction and sobriety or being free of that. Mm -hmm. Sarah, what about for you? What advice would you give to someone? I'm going to have to say daily mass. Sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep.
2: Interestingly enough, I talked to... Um, you know, once once you start going to daily mass, you see the other daily mass goers. Well, sure, you know, you're kind of they're like, not all eighty years old, yet. right? They <laughs> are. Anyways, one of them I saw outside of mass, and I just approached them and was like, "I know them," and I was like, "You know, so when did you start going to daily mass?" And they told me they started going twenty or thirty years ago. They said he had a drinking problem, and He started going to daily Mass just to ask God to take it from him. Yeah. He went every single day. Exactly one year later to the day, he just didn't need it anymore. Wow. Those chains were broken. Right. So just receiving the Eucharist daily is, to me, more powerful than anything else out there. Right. You know, I didn't do AA, but I like to say, you know— the Bible is my big book mm-hmm. and mass is my meetings, you right, know? Right. But reading the Bible daily has been huge for me. How so? Just spending time in God's word. Like, what does he have to say to me? Mm-hmm. When you read the Bible, you're getting the chance
0: to really hear what Jesus has to say to you. Right. I always think of like scripture as, you know, God's love letter written to us. So, If he was, you know, if our dad was stationed overseas and he was writing letters to us, Mm -hmm. that would be the word. And if it was FaceTime, if he was FaceTiming us, it would be like adoration. Mm -hmm. And if he was able to fly home daily just to give us like a quick embrace, Mm -hmm. that would be our mass, you know, like, yeah, just to kind of like, like, oh, that's dad. Yeah, Yeah, that's his love right there.
2: Well, and I have to say, like, growing up Catholic, mind you, I absolutely love my Catholic faith, but... Reading the Bible was just not a part of it. Right. For me, at least. Right. So, last year I did the Bible in a year, Mm -hmm. which I highly recommend every Catholic doing. Everything makes sense now. Like, oh my gosh, I get it. Right. Right. You know, I get the timeline. I get, you know, just it all makes sense now. But, you know, something I did not realize as a Catholic is how often the Bible talks about being sober-minded and how important that is and, you know, how getting drunk is not okay. right? You know, things I would have never really known before until I really did the Bible in a year, and now I feel so much more conviction to remain sober-minded. Right. One of my favorite Bible quotes or, you know, scripture passages is Peter... Where he talks about, you know, the devil is like a lion prowling, mm-hmm. waiting to devour someone. Right. And how you must remain sober-minded. Mm. And to me, I feel like when you're drinking, when you're intoxicated, when you don't have your free will, yes. you have a target on your back.
1: Amen. That's so true. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the devil kind of took my weakest point. And that's, I feel like that's where he kind of insinuated that maybe, maybe alcohol can do this, you know, solve your exhaustion. Maybe alcohol can make you better able to handle kids. And I always hesitate to bring my kids into my story because I always feel like, well, maybe if you didn't have so many kids, like that was one of the lies that God was telling, you know, Mm -hmm. the devil was telling me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm handling all these kids sober, way better than I ever could have handled with the alcohol. And so that was a complete lie. Right. But another thing, the adoration. I was always an adoration goer um, my entire life.
0: Hey, tell them about when you were thinking about approaching me about talking about this, but you weren't really sure. So you were in adoration. And who did you see? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> so I, I was like, you know, everybody that gets sober wants to like, it, it's almost like, look what God did for me. Right, like, right You right, want to yes. talk about right. it. You want to say it. But I was, I always have kept this into myself. And I was like, God was placing something on my heart, and when I met Sarah, you know she felt the same way, mm-hmm. and I would go to adoration and say, "What direction do you want me to take with this mm-hmm. i right. I'm extremely, extremely interested in this you know addiction and helping people and and in walks your son <laughs> as I'm like, maybe I should talk to Mary Joe. I think she would be a really good person to talk to you about this, and right right then walks walks your son, and so I was like, oh Okay, I guess we'll I take should just confirmation. Your, your <laughs> but Love but it. you know, adoration was was the place where even when I was drinking, I was wrestling with God. I was like, how can I get this better? In the thought of like, give up alcohol, and I was like, uh, can yeah. we try something else. <laughs> like yeah, maybe something else would work. And I right, right, go back right. to adoration. It was like, why does that have to be the answer? And right. you know, just kind of wrestling that out with God. And so when you ask me what what do you suggest to women, adoration. And, you know, Mm -hmm. on top of daily mass, I just think that the Eucharist has Mm -hmm. an extreme way of convicting you of some truths that either you don't want to see or that you need to hear or whatever it is that God wants to talk to you, you know, Mm -hmm. where you can listen, listen to what he wants you to do. Right. And then just feel
0: his love for you. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter where your sin is, is that just being an adoration and just feeling his love for you. And then that love lead you to where you need to go. So I always think when you first met, like when I first met my husband, I wouldn't have been like, "Um, hey, you want to get married? And I'll gain 40 pounds and we'll like (laughs) worry about making a house payment. And like, you don't start with all like the, Mm -hmm. like like the things you're going to have to do. It just started off with like, Mm -hmm. hey, you're cute. You know, like, is this a slow journey just to love? Like, Mm -hmm. the Lord wants to love on us, and then he'll lay those things on our heart, and that's a a journey. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we don't start off when our babies are born feeding them steak. You know, we like, Mm -hmm. we start off with little bits, and the Lord meets us exactly where we're at. So there's Mm -hmm. never anything to be afraid of in relationship with God. It's like he'll never lead you to anything except that which brings you the most peace and joy. Mm -hmm. He'll never lead you to anything except that which brings you the most peace and joy. Yeah.
1: Oh, I was going to say, outside of you know our faith, Sarah and I both. The first thing that we read was this book called "This Naked Mind," mm, yeah, and that book kind of changed our the way of thinking because it laid down the truth about alcohol. You know, okay, like how alcohol was being fed through advertising to us, and I was like, wow, that really is true.
2: It's it's the book that really lifted the veil yep. for me, and it it's actually the book me. that the Sober Sis program is based on. Oh, okay. So you know, as far as advice. If you are interested in learning any more about alcohol, the alcohol industry, all the lies behind it, the truth behind it, the science, read this "Naked Mind" by Annie Grace. She has a bunch of podcasts and YouTube videos
0: too oh, that I highly recommend. Wonderful, yeah. Because yeah. some people are not readers, so it's like, yeah. that's a that's a great yeah. that's a great mm-hmm. tool. Yep. Well, Carrie and Sarah, I want to thank you both for being here today and. For all our listeners, like we're so glad you joined in, and we just encourage you to find the love of the Father and allow Him to lead you to where He wants you to go. If you would like more information about Kingdom Builders, or would like to know how to bring this apostolate to your parish, please go to our website at buildingthroughhim.com and click Build With Us.